gentlemen, welcome to America's Auto Enthusiast Program. This is Auto World. And now, here's your host, Bob Long. Thank you very much for joining me here for another hour of Auto World. And this hour, we'll be joined by Dan Watson, our certified lubrication specialist with more than 25 years of experience, one of the largest AMSOIL dealers in all of North America. And we're going to be talking about all kinds of things on today's broadcast. And don't forget, if you've got a question for Dan, we got a telephone for you to dial into live at 855-660-4261. Mackenzie will take your call, 855-660-4261. Or if you prefer, email bob at autoworldradio.com or Dan Watson at the loopage.com. Any of those will work just fine. Let's go to the guest lines and bring forth the man himself and let's see what he's been up to of late. Hey there, Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing well on this fine, hot evening, Bob. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We've had our share of hot weather down here in central Florida. I have a little bit of taste of things to come, I'm, I'm afraid. Well, we've just been missing those uh, thunder bumpers in the afternoon. We need to get them back here to cool off things about 3 or 4 o'clock. I get all these 9,900 degree temperatures. It's too hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how even natives of central Florida like yourself um, still complain. I mean, it's, it's not unlike Boston where natives who have lived there all their lives will, will still say that they hate the snow, yet they stay here. And I ran into somebody on Friday who was a native to Central Florida, and yet you know, she was just complaining, complaining, complaining about the heat. But uh, you would think after a while, you, being in this neck of the woods, you got to expect you know, these are the hot months for the summer. Yeah, I think what happens is that, unfortunately, when you get older and you you, you put on some more insulation, shall we say, <laughs> you don't handle the heat like you did when you were uh, strapping 25-year-old, you know, with uh, 7% body fat or something. So, anyway. Well, listen, Bob, we kind of have a little short tradition going on here. I've been trying to, you know, spice up things a little bit and ask you a couple questions as we uh, do this lube hour once a week and... You know, get little interesting things, tidbits that come in, and I've discovered that you are just a wealth of general automotive uh, knowledge, all kinds of things about cars. I would say you are a real car nut. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. <laughs> you know your cars. So, hey, I thought of this question, and I'll uh, lay it out, and then I'll give you kind of my three selections, and really... Folks, when you hear this question, you're going to thank yourself out there, our listeners of the half a dozen, because anybody that's been around uh, as, as long as I have, you know, I figured it up the other day, like owning something like 25 cars or something, vehicles, I could own more than that, but I don't get rid of them very fast. But, you know, and thinking back on some of those, of which ones I kind of wish I hadn't owned and others that I'm sorry I got rid of. But anyway, we look at this as the three worst automobiles since the Model A Ford and I'm not a real expert on this, but I'd have to say my first thoughts was the Chevy Vega. Okay, didn't have mm-hmm. I? I had friends that I never drove it, but I had friends that had those mm-hmm. that just were waiting almost from the day they got it to get rid of it. And then <laughs> the Pacer, American uh, 
automobile company made a car called the Pacer. People may not yeah. remember that vehicle. I only selected it as one of the worst because it's the first car I ever heard of they tried to sell without a transmission. It was an option to, to buy a transmission. <laughs> you know, so I consider that to be just unbelievable, you know. And then one that came over from our friends in Europe, the Yugo. The Yugo was one of the worst little cars (laughs) to ever come across the pond. That thing was like a mosquito fogger almost, you know, 500 miles out the gate. Just a very, very poorly constructed car. So that's three. There's many more I can think of that weren't that good of cars, but I only put the Pacer in there because when you try to sell me a car and it doesn't come standard with a transmission, I'm not satisfied that that was the, the right thing to do. Now, that was not exactly a brilliant marketing move on the part of American Motors, uh, a way to keep the price of the car artificially low. But, you know, one one choice or another, you got to pick whether you're getting an automatic or a manual, whatever the offerings were back in 75 when the Pacer was uh, first introduced to the world. But I will concur with you on the Yugo. I mean, that is without doubt one of the worst vehicles ever manufactured. And I I did run into a radio station owner who had a bunch of them. uh, And for whatever reason, uh, had some pretty good luck with them. But then again, like I said, he had a bunch of them. The reason why he had a bunch is because he was using... Some of the uh, some of his vehicles in his collection as parts cars, so he <laughs> yeah. would be able to take off whatever happens to be broken this week on his main one and and take it from one of the uh, donor vehicles. Um, let's see what else. I mean, a lot of people think the Edsel was a bad vehicle, but in my opinion, the Edsel actually had a lot of good features, a lot of. Uh, uh, Good innovations, the push-button automatic transmission buttons on the steering wheel. Of course, the Tucker had that many, many years ago, but, but this was the first time we saw that, and the Edsel was more of a marketing uh, failure than rather than a mechanical failure. Right, I and agree we, with you. Actually, there's some of those in the collector's world that people claim are really delightful cars to have in their collection. Yeah, absolutely. A gentleman who contributes to this show quite often, Phil Skinner, the former collector car market editor for the Kelly Blue Book and a guy that covers auctions and classic cars still as a freelance writer. And and what car does he collect? He collects Edsel's. I don't know, but I think he has somewhere in the vicinity of 10 or so. Wow. So there are people out there that will collect, just like I know that there are Pacer collectors out there. Of course, because it's such a unique car. (laughs) It was a wide-body little car. It was. It it was um, kind of fishbowl-shaped. It had a big, you know, kind of interesting, very, you know, High tech for the day, curved side glass, uh, and the little hatch area in the back there. But uh, certainly dynamically, it it was not a good vehicle and got off to a kind of a fast sale start. People were really interested in them at first, but uh, uh, then the problems started to show up. Another one I would put on the list is just simply because it was 
a vehicle that never should have been given the nameplate. General Motors, of course, had their ex-bodied cars in the 1980s. There was the Chevrolet Citation. There was the Pontiac Phoenix. There was a Buick variant. There was uh, an Oldsmobile variant as well. But the one that really got me was the Cadillac Cimarron. That was just... uh, an awful vehicle to be wearing the Cadillac name, uh, a front-wheel drive Cadillac, and there's nothing wrong with that. They've gone on to have many other front-wheel drive Cadillacs, but that one definitely belongs on, I think, one of the all-time worst lists. And the other one is that, that pops into my head as a vehicle you're going to have to Google or look up because this is probably one of the ugliest vehicles ever made. Uh, the vehicle was called the Fuller, Fuller, like Fuller Brush Company, F-U-L-L-E-R, uh, Die Maxon, and it was from 1933. If you go back and take a look at that vehicle, you're going to see one of the ugliest vehicles in the history of <laughs> automobiles. Um, so we'll have people do a little homework during the break there. See if you can pull up the Fuller Daxamaxum. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and uh, check that one out from 1933. There are others that fall into my head as well. There was a Crosley from the 1940s. I believe it was called the Hot Shot. That was an ugly-looking sports car. Uh, and uh, not good mechanically. We'll take a quick break. Broadcasting from the middle of Corvette Boulevard and Stingray Avenue, this is Auto World with your host, Bob Long. Yes, he's with us, as usual, at this time. Dan Watson, CEO of thelubepage.com and the expert above all experts when it comes to lubrication. We're going to be talking uh, lubrication and answering your questions as well. But I did a quick uh, Wikipedia search on this Dymaxon car, and um, it was featured prominently at the Chicago 1933 and 1934 World Fair, was designed by American inventor Buck Minster Fuller. And here's the idea of the vehicle. They were kind of trying to be ahead of their time, but uh, the reality of the situation just doesn't make any sense. They designed the vehicle to look like a plane that was taxiing, figuring that maybe one day we would have a vehicle that could land, fly, and drive, but it just turned out to be one funky-looking vehicle. And it was built in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I just want to make sure our listeners understand when I said that you know some stuff when it comes to general car knowledge, because I bet you there weren't, there's not four or five people in the listening audience that had ever heard of this car. So, <laughs> <laughs> so good on you, Bob. That, that's going into some, some, uh, crafty corners to find some things that are unusual. Someday you'll use that as a trivia question on your show if anybody That's can right. the car that looked like a plane taxiing that came out in 1933, <laughs> you know, wins something. So. Exactly. <laughs> oh, hey. my goodness. 
Well, listen, before we leave it, I was just going to say I'm not picking on the Vega, but here's the problem. I knew several people with Vega, and honestly, if you could get 60,000 miles out of the engine before you blew the head gaskets, you you really achieved something. Um, It was the first time they'd tried an all-aluminum engine. Yes. And they had just numerous problems. Now, to put our folks at rest, there's plenty of engines today with uh, aluminum heads and even some with aluminum blocks and aluminum heads, but the alloy of alloy of aluminum has improved. Uh, it's not the same uh, basic alloy of aluminum they were trying to use then. So, granted, somebody needed to go down that direction for a lighter weight engine, but boy, it proved out to be a costly venture for the people who own the Vegas because they just had all kinds of. And I think for a while, GM was replacing engines and stuff up to like fifty thousand miles, trying to. Yeah. You know, save the market, but they they gave it a an honest try, and boy, it was it, it soon was well known honest throughout fair. the marketing <laughs> the market that that you would have trouble with that engine. Absolutely, and you know, this is one of the first domestic made small vehicles. It was rear wheel drive, but like you said, using that aluminum componentry, maybe a little bit too ahead of its time but yeah i I remember lots of uh folks as well complaining about the uh the repair bills with that vehicle uh that that was just a a little well you know as as consumers we always hate to be the uh test population yeah (laughs) (laughs) getting the car to see how it's going to work out because we'd like to get one that we could say oh it's working out really well it's already (laughs) been proven nothing goes wrong you know i bought a van uh, a couple years ago and it's a ford van and it's for business and i specifically looked for a 289 16 valve engine Mm -hmm. because i didn't want a multi more valves than that that had variable valve timing and all the stuff that they came out with right around the time of this van because I said, look, uh, I'll stick with the one that has proven technology back to the first 289 built somewhere in about 1960 or something. So you just give me that engine. I'll be happy with that. I'll put up with all the facts that you tell me it's not as powerful as the one with three valves or four valves and variable valve timing and all this other stuff because in reality, the, we had a saying in the Navy, we called it the KISS principle, K-I-S-S. And what it stood for was keep it simple, stupid, you know, because <laughs> the more you make something complex, the more you're going to work on it to keep it at its, yes. at its top level performance. So you try to make things as complex as they need to be, but not more complex than they need to be. And that's uh, sort of an engineering rule of thumb when it comes to things. I had a little MGB GT one time. Oh, that's great. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. But, you know, MGs are a tinkering man's car. (laughs) (laughs) I had the little... Very well said. (laughs) I had a little unison thing to balance my carburetors, those updraft carburetors. You know, you'd think, well, my gosh, didn't you guys ever hear of a two-barrel or something? You know, but no. (laughs) No updrafts. You had to balance them. Eight spark plugs, about every 6,000 miles. Uh, but I loved driving the car, but I had to agree to the fact that it was going to have a little bit of different of a uh, 
maintenance schedule maybe than what I was used to. <laughs> yes, exactly. Part of the uh, the treasure of owning the the MGB the the experience, but uh, you're absolutely right. There there are a lot of you know I I kind of call them not exactly reliable vehicles, but still very sought after, very much in demand, and you know that continues into vehicles that have been made in the in the 90s and in the 2000s and. And you know there are some that will cost you an arm and a leg to to repair, but but they they they're just cool vehicles. And certainly the MG, I can certainly understand you putting up with all of the uh, the problems that were associated with all those British roadsters. Um, they used to call out the electric manufacturer for pretty much all the British cars was Lucas and. Uh, Lucas Electrical and the little funny line that they used about used about it was uh, they used to call him the uh, the what was it the the king of, of yeah the king of darkness or something. Oh, yeah, because I'll tell you, <laughs> I was just going to say just before you got to that that one of the things you had to be willing to work with in a Triumph or a MG, uh, any of those British Leyland products, was uh, yeah. figuring out what was going wrong with the electrical system. Exactly. Because it was constantly something going wrong. You'd have taillights start flashing. Ah. You'd have uh, taillights go out. You'd have uh, headlights working but not working in, in the right position. Uh, you know, it just one thing after the other. And the things were notorious for having... Uh, wiring problem where you had to completely yes. replace the wiring because it was like what did you make this wire out of how can a <laughs> wire break inside the insulation you know i mean it's just i know it so yeah you know it's it's a history that's well known but but you can't stop people from owning them no definitely because you love i love to drive that that mg was such a tight oh. steering it was so fun to drive Oh, and the proper expression is, I just remembered it, the Prince of Darkness. So it had to have a little royal taste to it. The Prince of Darkness, Lucas Electronics. <laughs> when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about buying Amsoil Factory Direct as a preferred customer. And uh, we're also going to take some calls. We've got Jack in Texas and room for you as well. And now, back to the show with the highest octane, Auto World, and your host, Bob Long. Dan Watson, CEO of the Lou Page, is with us. That means that we've got the best in the business when it comes to answering your oil and lubrication questions. Dan, tell us about the Preferred Customer Program. Well, just a little bit on this for our listeners as to their advantage to hear this. Uh, Amsoil began in 1971, and over time, it became a more of a direct marketing company because in those early years, except for Mobile One being out there, nobody ever heard much about any synthetic oil and they didn't know what it was, and so you couldn't just drive around in a truck and unload it and put it on auto part shelves and hope that anybody would buy it because they didn't know what it was, and even the people the counter weren't too sure what it was. So they went to direct marketing, which allowed dealers uh, in those days and in these days, like myself, to 
to be able to talk to people and explain to them what this stuff is. They have some idea whether it would work for them, be to their advantage, what were the advantages, the benefits of using synthetic engine oil, transmission fluid, gear lube, those type things. Today, that's not so necessary because the entire lube marketplace has opened up to synthetics and the quality is understood. Now, the advantage in all of this, though, as time went along, is Amazon developed this factory direct program called the Preferred Customer Program, allowing people around the country to buy direct through a catalog or now through the Internet, or the they can actually, if they sign up through me, they can call me, I'll place orders for them, I'll help them get the right product, what the application is. But the big deal on this, it gives you about a 25% discount off of the retail prices posted on the Internet, so sometimes 30%. So it's a very good way to buy AMSOIL and save some money. Now, recently, because of the way the marketplace moves and the pressures on the Internet, they've moved to allowing people to buy at the discount as a preferred customer and also to participate in the free shipping if the order is $100 or larger. So that's getting pretty crazy. You can get the stuff shipped to you for nothing and also get it at a 25 to 30% discount. Now, how do you do this? Well, the Preferred Customer Program is a membership program, similar if you were a member of Sam's Wholesale or Costco, one of these places where you pay an annual membership fee and you go there and buy whatever they have to offer at discount prices. This one is a program where you can be a preferred customer, and the company will charge you $20 a year. They'll send you a monthly magazine out to the preferred customers with the information about the products you might be interested in buying, and also you get a catalog with the reduced prices in it so as you can see the preferred customer prices. Now, if you find this program would be interesting to you, I'm going to give you an offer here that you might want to take advantage of, and that is that if you come to the Lube page and contact me through the Lube page, Dan Watson, or Watson at thelubepage.com, that's my email, then I'll give you a free six-month preferred customer program. It's what we call a trial membership. I'll give it to you, and you can see if it works out for you. If it does, then you would renew at the regular price after the six months. But if you want to try it out, want to buy some products at a discount price, then get in touch with me and take advantage of this preferred customer program with no charge free for a six-month membership so that you can see if all this works out. Now, one of the added benefits of that is that all the preferred customers that I have, and I have lots of them, they call me off and on, send me emails asking for product advice, and I give each and every one the same amount of attention that I would if they were one of my big business accounts because uh, preferred customers are really the people that made this company uh, by being there to buy product over the years when none of the retail stores would give us the time of day. Now, all the retail stores are giving us time of day and wanting us in their stores, but we still have this little gold nugget program called the Preferred Customer Program. And uh, like I said, contact me at any way that you can. My toll-free number, 800-370-2986. Email me 
Dan Watson at thelubepage.com. Go to the lube page. There's a way to contact me in the lube page. Contact Dan in the lube page. However you do it, make sure that you go through me to get the preferred customer membership, and I'll do it for you for six months for free. No obligation. You don't have to purchase anything. You just contact me. We'll set you up with it. And I think you'll find a lot of good products at reduced prices that you'll be happy you made that move. Absolutely. And we're getting a bunch of people emailing us up. Why don't we take a question from Jack in Texas who writes us, and he says, I have a late model Toyota and have recently read about low-speed pre-ignition. This sounds bad. How can I prevent it? Dan, well, he probably doesn't have to worry this. about it. Low-speed pre-ignition only applies to direct-injected gasoline engines, not to the multi-port fuel injector that we're used to seeing in Toyota. And so you may be getting some direct-injected Toyotas. I'd have to look at the what they're offering these days. But the direct-injected engine, you'll know it's a GDI, gasoline direct-injected engine. The EcoBoost engines are direct-injected engines made by Ford. And, folks, what these things are is in a direct-injected engine, you get these injectors are right in the cylinder, and you get a little bit more fuel than what you would with multi-port fuel-injected, and you get some fuel contamination that will get into the oil, and you also can get a little bit of fuel contamination mixed with a little bit of lightweight oil that can get trapped down on the sides of the piston due to the geometry of the piston. And then because of the motion of the piston, that oil and fuel mixture will get slung back up into the combustion chamber. And then when the piston is coming up in the power stroke, starting to build pressure, that light oil and gas mixture will ignite, pre-ignite. It will start to ignite before the actual spark plug is to ignite the mixture. Now, that can just cause a knock, an annoying knock. But if it's bad enough, if there's enough fuel and enough oil mixed together and it does it, they have had it so far out of time that they've broken piston connector rods, uh, broken crankshafts. So it's a serious issue in gasoline direct-injected engines. Okay, I keep saying that because I don't want people to have any concern unless they have a GDI, a gasoline direct injected engine. Now, if you do, what you want to do is buy an SN Plus. The classification for oil right now, API, is SN. That's the latest classification. SN Plus means that the oil has been designed that it will not participate in this pre-ignition phenomenon. By the way, all AMS oil, gasoline engine oils, are SN+, and they will not uh, participate in the pre-ignition phenomenon. Now, you need to make sure that's what you're buying, though, because some of these very cheap oils, they haven't done anything. They just left them at at the SN rating, and you don't want to use that in your car that is a gasoline direct injected engine. You could cause some damage. So look for S N plus rated engine oil. 
All right. Got to do that. Some good advice. Absolutely. We have Brad in Portland, Oregon, sending us a note. Brad is the owner of a 2012 Honda Accord with 160,000 miles on it. He says he's using about a quart every 1,500 miles. Wants to know if this is normal and if there's anything you can do to reduce the oil consumption. When we come back on the other side, we're going to put Brad at the top, but we can put you in second position if you call us up at 855-660-4261. Bob at AutoWorldRadio.com as well. This is AutoWorld. Hey, it's Billy F. Gibbons from ZZ Top, and you're listening right here to AutoWorld. We're back here on AutoWorld. We thank you very much for being here. We've got uh, the man himself. That's right, Dan Watson is with us. And we've got a question on the table from Portland, Oregon, where uh, a gentleman has a Honda Accord with 160,000 miles on it. He's only getting about 1,500 miles out of a quart of oil and wants to know if that's Normal, and he also wants to know other ways that he could lower the consumption of oil. What do you think, Dan? Well, it's not normal. Uh, I've I've dealt with Hondas that had 400,000 miles on them that were using the cord about every 4,000, 4,500 miles. So it's not normal, and there are a couple things that can be going on here. One is that somebody didn't really change oil on time very good, and, and it might have been him or it might have been that he picked this car up from somebody. And it may have some stuck rings. That's one possibility. People say, well, how can stuck rings cause you to use oil? Well, what it does is you get, you don't get a good seal, ring seal, when you have stuck rings and you get pressure going past the piston during the combustion process down into the crankcase. When it does that, it builds up pressure in the crankcase. Now, we have this thing called a positive crankcase ventilation system. PCV valve is what does that. When that valve opens, what it does, it sucks that pressure out of the crankcase. Well, if you've got oil vapor in the crankcase, then what's going to happen, you're going to suck that oil vapor in at a moderate rate, but you're going to keep sucking it, and what it's going to do is it's going to burn that and maybe burning it at a slow enough rate that you don't really see anything out the tailpipe, any kind of smoke. But you're burning oil because you've got ring problems that they're not sealing well and you're pressurizing the crankcase. All right. The other aspect is maybe your rings aren't too bad and maybe your PCV valve is just stuck open and it's just sucking on the crankcase even when there's not much pressure there. So PCV valves are cheap. Get you a new one, Brad, and just put it in. It's easy to do. You just go put a PCV valve in, and that may be the first thing to help. Now, if you want to try to figure out if you got the rings are stuck, you could do sort of a, a, a pressure test. You could do a pressure test, and it can be what they call a wet pressure test. You make sure you have oil in the cylinders, and you're doing it, and you're trying to see if it's, all the compression is maybe 160 pounds or so, whatever it happens to be, and then maybe you find one that's only 80 pounds. So that would mean maybe that particular uh, piston has stuck rings. But that gets a little hard to do unless you're a mechanic. So here's a suggestion. You probably want to just uh, 
change the oil in this vehicle, and what I would suggest is that you change the oil in this vehicle to an aggressive cleaner like Amsoil's Signature Series oils. Now, why are they so aggressive? Because they still have ester in the oil. Ester is a very aggressive solvent cleaning agent that will clean anything and everything in a hurry. Now, there's also a a mild flush made by Amsoil. Why do I say mild? Why don't I say aggressive, tough? Well, because the difference is there's some caustic flushes out there. I say caustic. They have very high pHs that you can buy, and those things can be dangerous. They can mess up seals and other things in the car. So be careful with uh, these kinds of really aggressive uh, tight flushes. The one from Amsoil, harmless to your seals, and but it will free up rings. Now, so you do the oil change after you do the flush according to the instructions on the engine flush from Amsoil. Then you put in this uh, Amsoil Signature Series. For this car, I'd use a, a 10W30. And you run that for about maybe uh, 2,000 miles, and you take the filter off, and you put another filter on, and you top it off with oil. Then you drive it about maybe 7,500 to 10,000, whatever you're comfortable with, and you make the next complete oil change with a new filter. And I would recommend at that time that you put on the Amsoil high-efficient filter at that time. What you're doing is you're eliminating the fact that your oil consumption would be due to stuck rings and so forth because you've just used a pretty solid known cleaning mechanism, the flush and the synthetic Signature Series oil, and I've never seen a time that that won't clean the rings out using that process. You'll get them clean. Now, if after that you still have oil consumption, you replace the PCV valve, you've done this stuff, what I would tell you is you got too much ring wear at one time. So how are you going to deal with that? Well, you're going to go from the 1030 up to a 1040. See if that will give you a better ring seal, cut down on your oil consumption, and you may live happily ever after by doing that. But I would go through that process. I would flush the engine with the Amsoil engine flush. I would put in Amsoil Signature Series with a regular filter, run that about 2,000 miles, spin the filter off, put a new one on, top it off with Amsoil uh, 10W30 Signature, drive it on out to 7,500 to 10,000 miles, and do a complete change with an Amsoil filter and 10W30 Signature Series, and drive it a little while and see what your oil consumption comes down to. If it doesn't fix it, move up to a 10W40, the all premium protection synthetic. I think that would be your last thing you would do before considering trading it if that doesn't fix the oil consumption. That makes a whole lot of sense, Dan, and some great advice for our listener in Portland on KPAM. Love to hear from you guys, and let's see if we can sneak one more question in at least. Let's hope we can sneak in somebody who has been very patient. Here we go. Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, Gary in Corpus Christi, Texas. I have a diesel truck with a urea tank. Can I remove the tank or does it matter? Ooh. That's a lot of guys a, want to remove that tank. They think it's a pain yeah. in the butt. And what I tell them to do is, I wouldn't say kiss the tank, but stand next to it and say, thank you, tank. Thank you, tank. Yeah. 
<laughs> because that tank of urea, folks, it's where we're trying to address nitrous oxide. You can either treat nitrous oxide in the cylinder by heavy exhaust gas recirculation, choking the engine down, uh, reducing its power. That's what we did for a while. Or you can spritz a little urea into a reaction chamber in the exhaust, and it'll react with the nitrous oxide. And the result of urea and nitrous oxide will make water vapor. Now, if you ask me, I'm going to pour all the urea I can get in that tank, and I'm going to let my engine go back to doing what it's supposed to do, produce power. And I'm going to cut down on all that exhaust gas recirculation because what that is, you have to understand, folks, what's going on. We're trying to reduce the peak temperature in the cylinder because higher peak temperatures tends to create more nitrous oxide. So what I'm doing is I'm bringing this exhaust and I'm porting it back into the cylinder with fresh air. But, my goodness, that exhaust, it's all burnt out. The oxygen is gone. So... I'm actually defeating the purpose of my turbocharger. I got a turbocharger on this engine yeah. to try to push more oxygen into the cylinder. And what am I doing? I'm bringing this exhaust gas recirculation back, and it's like I'm kind of fighting with myself. I have a my engine is conflicted. It doesn't know what it wants to do. Does it want more oxygen or not? But since about 2000 and. Uh, 13, 2011 to 13, in that time frame, we see all these trucks come out with these urea tanks, and that means that the manufacturers decided, hey, we gotta, we got to stop choking our engine to death. And you had a urea tank, you're probably getting four to five miles per gallon better fuel economy than the trucks prior to it that didn't have one. So be glad you got the urea tank. And, oh, by the way, if you <laughs> were to get caught disconnecting or taking it off, you might get some free lodging down in the... <laughs> Local who's gal with the sheriff, you know, so uh, don't do that. It's, you know, it's a good tank to be on there. It's doing a great thing. It's actually a good way to treat the exhaust, lower those nitrous oxides, and let your engine have some power. So be glad you got it. Really good advice. Why don't we make sure and reiterate your telephone number and website so that folks can take advantage of that very generous offer of a uh, a trial membership where they can really save lots and lots of money uh, the trial membership as a preferred customer. So, best ways to get a hold of you, Dan? Yeah, my uh, toll-free, 800-370-2986. You can email me. My name Dan Watson at thelooppage.com or you can go right straight to thelooppage.com. Great job as usual, my friend. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Bob. Good time. Thank you. That's going to do it for this hour of Auto World. I'm Bob Long. Thanks for joining me.